I'm Anna. And I'm Sam. And we're your hosts on this fantasy book review podcast. We'll be exploring some of our old favorites, as well as reading and discovering new stories along our journey. So join us as we delve into our favorite adventures set in the lands of Middle-earth, Tamarack, and Allegatia, analyze fan theories, and discuss some of the best, and maybe the worst characters this genre has to offer on our podcast, Fantastic Books, and How to Read Them. We're live! Hey viewers, this is Sam. And this is Anna. And this is our podcast, Fantastic Books, and How to Read Them. And today, we're presenting our favorite fantasy series of all time, The Name of the Wind, book one, which is part of the King Killer Chronicles. By Patrick Rothfuss. Books came out in 2006 or seven. the first one came out. It's a trilogy. We are still waiting on the third book, but the first two have been absolutely amazing and like no other fantasy book I ever read. So I think that's why we really wanted to start the podcast with these, just because they are some of our favorite books, and I've read them multiple times, you've read them even more than I have, uh, and every time we go back through them, there's more and more little details that you pick up on, more and more, like, hidden meaning, double meaning, um, really intricate storylines that are all woven throughout, so I think it's going to be a really great way to kick off the whole podcast. And kind of the workflow that we're going to try to accomplish through this podcast is, we'll be going over several chapters at a time, and... Not necessarily narrate, but summarize what's going on through the plot. We'll then share parts that we really enjoyed and maybe certain characters that we like. And then the more we get into this book, the more there obviously is going to be to talk about in terms of fan theories and pieces of information that were mentioned way earlier that come back up later. So we'll try and uh, synthesize everything pretty good for you. But today we're going to be going over chapters one through seven. Since we already have read this book, we know where to break it. And these are a really good introduction to the entire world, to the characters, before you get into the actual, like, meat of the story. So that's what we'll be starting with today. Are you ready to jump right into it? Oh, yeah. I'm so excited for this. All right. So this book starts off with a prologue called The Silence of Three Parts. I think this is a really interesting prologue because a lot of prologues in fantasy either give you, like, a character's... Like, something early in their life or, like, their parents' lives that kind of sets them on their path of destiny. Or some, like, strange event that happens. Like, a, a political event set in motion that, like, your, you know, your your farm boy comes into contact with later, you know? Yeah, kind of thrusts that main character into the action that sets them on their adventure. Yeah, so a lot of the times, like, here's the adventure and then we'll reel back out to, like, here's this character who seems like they have a boring life. But this one is actually kind of sets the setting and the tone of the book. Oh, this prologue is really unique and interesting because it one part foreshadows and is very cryptic, but it also really hooks the reader in and you kind of buckle up and you really don't know what kind of ride you're getting thrown into. And it comes back multiple times throughout the book. They kind of reprise the the prologue's structure like the they mentioned the three parts multiple times throughout the book so it's pretty interesting i'm not really sure how much meaning it has in terms of like content i think they're just kind of setting the stage for you but i think it's really beautifully written it does kind of set the stage in terms of the way the book is written it's a story within a story so the book follows the main character kavoth who is narrating the story and he spends three days one Book one is day one, book two is day two, and book three is day three, telling the story of his life. 
But he's obviously at the end of that point of his life, so he's recounting. Um, so this is kind of telling you where he's at now, and it's this kind of very, like, eerie, dreary, kind of... Very dismal. Dismal backwater town. Yeah. So that's what the prologue sets you up for. And they talk about, at the very end, the the sound of the man who's waiting to die, who I can only assume is the main character, Kvoth, but... Obviously. Well, it's a lot of this writing. There's a lot of double meaning and a lot of interpretation with the writing. So although it originally kind of appears to be clear cut, I imagine that these prologue and epilogues that are used throughout all three books are going to have varied meanings once it all kind of gets pieced together. Yeah. Yeah, we can actually jump right into the kind of thick of the plot. So we're in this backwater town. In an inn that's actually called the Waystone Inn, and our character Kavoth, who's going by the name of Coat in this town, he runs this inn, and it's around supper time, and there's a kind of a group of, uh, patrons. Like his regulars. Yeah, like the usual crowd that's over at the inn. So it's, um, Old Cobb, Graham, Jake, and Shep. And when I first read the book, I thought this was kind of the main plot, so I really tried to focus in on, like, learning Graham, Jake, and Shep, and, like, who was who, and giving each person a bit of, just a, a bit of attention at the beginning, but they don't seem to be particularly important to the story, so they're there just to kind of provide basic content and information about the world, so I wouldn't focus too much on who they are. Yeah, they're definitely more accessory pieces, and just, <laughs> I hate, I really just hate old Cobb. He's every, like, old man somebody knows in their life that is just, like, stubborn and way very full of themselves and arrogant and just has no business being this annoying. I think they describe him as like eating like a lifelong bachelor and just being that like guy who thinks he knows best because he's like the oldest. Yeah. And I just really don't care for him. He does have a lot of information that moves the plot and the world building along, but other than that, he... Oh, he's the worst. <laughs> he sucks as a character. So, basically, we have our five characters, these five guys at the Waystone Inn. They're basically having their supper in Old Cobb, doing what Old Cobb does best, telling stories. Now, it's kind of set up almost like a, a campfire story. They're basically telling fantasy tales about the world around them. It'd be like if someone was telling, like, American tales of, like, Paul Bunyan or, um... Yeah, like, Tall Tales. Tall Tales, yeah, like Johnny Appleseed. Kind of like, they're in your world, but not really. Yes. Um, but he's telling a story about, like, their main hero in the world, Tarberlin the Great, and this group of enemies called the Chandrian. And these are really important characters in terms of, like, the structure of the world and the structure of the conflict for the entire series. So take note whenever they come up. Yes. And so I think that's one thing as this book develops that's really fascinating is a lot of times in these books, stories will come up. And in my mind at first when I was reading this, it kind of reminded me of Lord of the Rings where you'd have like a song or poem or story happen within the story. You're like, oh, that's cool piece of literature they decided to incorporate into the world as kind of like an art piece. Yeah, those are more like because Tolkien had created such, like, a rich world with its own history and languages, that's why they were included. But they don't really affect the plot of the main characters, whereas in this series, any kind of, like, story, song, rhyme, uh, folktale, folklore, anything like that, is where there's, like, hidden nuggets of truth about the world. Yes, and that's what's really cool about these books, because upon the first read, you take it kind of at face value, and you're like, that's interesting and cool, but, you know... 
not really reading more into it than what it appears to be on the page. And then, if you're like me, and I've read these books about three times each now, everything is significant. Every little detail actually has a little bit of weight that you discover upon the second read. And then even upon the third read, there's even more that you kind of took for granted and took a face value upon reading that you realize either plays into the plot later on or just is a foreshadowing device or just part of the world itself. And it's really what makes these books so read-readable and fascinating. But yeah, so in this opening story, Old Cobb is talking about the Shandrian, and like I said, they're a main plot point. And all that's really important here is that they talk about the signs of the Shandrian, which uh, one is blue fire, um, and a few more get mentioned throughout these first few chapters, but these are important to remember because, as you learn, the Shandrian are kind of like these mythical enemies. No one really knows like their purpose or what they look like, but they have these signs that come up in folklore that tend to be, um, there's consistencies and differences, and it's one of those interesting things where it's, like, parsing out the truth. Yeah, and, like, I guess full background of these books as we go through, you kind of discover that this world is very much pre any modern marvel of technology. It's very, like, horse and wagon technology, simple blacksmithing, real, like, work-with-your-hands type of technologies. There is magic, but it's written in a more of a logical way, so it's this is a fantasy book where there's not, like, just unchecked magic running rampant or, like, I don't know, a lot of fantasy books have magic or magical creatures that don't have any kind of limitations to them. And this one is a very, like, logical approach to magic, which makes yeah. it different, too. But anyway, uh, as we go through the first chapter, the action from <sighs> the story gets interrupted almost immediately when another man comes in, Carter, and he's got a bundle with this, like stone-like spider inside of it. Yeah, so as these, uh, as our five favorite characters are <laughs> regaling a story around the table and drinking their beers at the Waystone Inn, Carter bursts through the door. He's ashen-faced and trembling and holding this clothed bundle He's all and cut covered up. in blood and cuts. And everyone obviously is startled to see their friend in like such distress. And Carter's just kind of in shock, saying, He's fine. He's fine. And when he, um, like, unloads his bundle onto the floor, it's this dense, as you were saying, stone spider-like creature that has these razor, razor blades for feet. And then Coat or Kvoth, immediately recognizes it and calls it a scrail, or scrailing, which is kind of interesting, because that's something from Norse mythology, but right. that's a, so not really related. Everyone so else is freaking out, because this is not a creature typical to this, like, land or world. No one has seen anything like this, so they're all like, genuinely, justifiably terrified. Yeah, and immediately he's like, oh, uh, yeah, I didn't, I don't know what this is. Someone just told me about it. So clearly he knows what's going on. And he's playing dumb. Um, he's very concerned about what this is, and then kind of convinces everyone that it's a demon and that they should treat it with <sighs> caution. Oh, he convinces them it's a demon by having them test it. So, in this world, from mythology, they can test demons by iron, clean fire, or the name of God. And so they use a piece of iron. Kvothe, like, puts the iron on the scrail, and it makes this big, like, crackling sound. So he's like, as if oh. it's burning the creature. Yeah, so he's like, aha, ha, ha, it must be a demon. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which, like, I'm not entirely sure the way what happened, yeah. but what I think is that he used a bit of magic to, like, make this 
kind of smoke and mirrors to get everyone to believe it's a demon and dispose of this properly. Um, but it's also kind of a cover story for, like, he can't know what it is, but he wants them to at least, like, handle it with caution. Yes. They end up burning it with a... What is it, the fire made of rowan wood? So it's like there's a whole rhyme that they have in this chapter, but basically it's rowan ash and elm wood. Yes. And so it creates a hot and pure enough fire to basically like incinerate this creature and leave no trace and just completely eviscerate or just get rid of it. Yep. So he comes back from that and is talking to his apprentice, Bost. Um, and this is the first time we're introduced to him. But Bost is very concerned about the Skrail as well. He wanted to make sure that everything was disposed of properly, that nobody kept any pieces of the body behind, and that it was, like, completely eviscerated. Right. Just as far as characters go, Bost is absolutely awesome. He's just, like, the clever, witty, charismatic, kind of rascally. Yeah, yeah he's like that great. perfect apprentice to coat. Or really known as Kavoth. He, yeah, he's a good foil. Um, he's kind of, I think... My young ward. Like, he's, he's <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He reminds me a lot of like what Kavoth saw in himself as a young person. Yeah, totally. So, But we're not really sure what Kavoth is supposed to be teaching him. They're kind of paired up, but it's not clear why or how they know each other. Right. Up until this point, we're just under the impression that Bost has been taken under Kavoth's tutelage as an apprentice in hopes, I believe, to teach him more of the Arcanum arts that he learns at the university. Yep, and I think that brings us to the end of chapter one. Chapter two is called A Beautiful Day. It's a very quick chapter, and all it really does is introduce us to another character, Chronicler. My boy. So, as I said, he's not cool. even that big of a character. No. Uh, as I said before, this story is the story of Kavoth telling his life story. So it's a story within a story. And Chronicler is the person who's writing that story down. So we get a quick introduction to him. He is traveling. He's trying to meet up with a character named Scarpy, who we come across later in the books. And he is robbed by a band of ex-soldiers. Um, so the ex-soldiers are there to kind of show you not only... There's a war clearly happening. Yeah, there's a war happening. There's deserters. There's, like, some political instability because people aren't really... If people are deserting, that means they're not following the king or the queen. It's a war that people aren't agreeing with. And more importantly, it's showing that the roads to civilization aren't safe. So these are times of strife for everybody. Yep, and he seems to be on the edge of civilization. He gets his horse stolen and later has difficulty finding a new one because he's out so far that, you know, everybody needs their horses. There's nothing to spare where he is. But I just kind of like this chapter. I think he's a witty character. He's definitely uh, funny when they talk about how he, like, bakes some coins into some bread so that nobody finds his, like, backup money. And he talks about knowing exactly the right amount of money to let people rob you so they don't get too greedy versus having too little so they start, like, ri- really rifling through all your stuff. Yeah, so, like, just to backtrack for a moment, it's interesting because Chronicler is the epitome of, like, book nerd. He's not brawny. He doesn't even attempt to resist this, like, ambush from these uh, mercenaries, ex-soldiers. So he straight up gives away his coin, and then they go through his valuables and take what they want. But then these mercenaries kind of give them 
their old stuff, so he's not without, which is kind of diplomatic. It's a really a unique way to be robbed. It's yeah, it's weird. I always feel bad when he talks about that like blue shirt he bought that he didn't even have a chance. Oh, to Oh, I know. It's such a bummer. He's like <laughs> my, my one good shirt. Like I know, it's such a bummer. His only like nice thing to wear. I think but, yes, it was really clever how this is written. Where there's like a little aside that you were mentioning where. He's talking about after the robbing's kind of all said and done, like, you gotta know just the right amount of money to have on you if you're gonna get robbed, because if you have too little, they're gonna keep searching all your stuff for more, because they think that you're hiding it, or if you have too much, they're gonna get greedy and really just keep going through your stuff, so it's kind of just useless information, but just interesting perspective to read. And you were saying before, yeah, like, he hides his money all over in little spots, whether it's his shoes or, like, a loaf of stale bread, or he keeps, like, a silver talent, which is, like, a form of their currency in this book, in a bottle of ink because he's a scribe, which is just, it's unnecessary information, but it's wicked cool, and it's, I just love, like, that that's a detail within this. I like that he almost considers it, like, his lucky little spot now because no one's ever found it. Yeah. But, yeah, that's pretty much, um... All that really happens in this chapter... He gets robbed. Definitely. <laughs> it's a sucky day. Has a bit of a rough start. So he's onward, horseless, and heading towards the middle of nowhere. Yep, uh, he's heading towards a town called Treya, but as we quickly find out, he encounters Kvoth along the way. Chapter 3, Wood Inward. So with this chapter, we see Kvoth back at the Waystone Inn. And he actually gets a package from the character Graham, who's a woodworker. And it's basically a mounting scabbard for a sword. And it's this really expensive dark wood that doesn't burn. And it had been engraved with the word folly on it. And Kavoth decides to hang the scabbard and sword right above the bar inside the inn. Boss Kavoth's uh, apprentice is almost aghast and surprised that Kavoth would do something like this. Yeah, he's really concerned, not only because people are going to ask about it, but I think it just, he's worried it's a little out of character for, like, their cover. And uh, in the very, very beginning, they mention when Graham's dropping off the package that Kavoth's looking kind of hollow and empty, and then he receives this and kind of, like, rashly decides he's going to put it up on the wall where everyone can see. So I think what's happening is he's kind of losing hope or, like, losing stamina where he is in hiding or where he is at the Waystone Inn right now. And he's decided he's, you know, he doesn't doesn't care quite as much as he used to about keeping his cover. So he's going to put this up on the wall. He talks about, like, making the best decisions he made were ones where he stopped thinking. So I think he's definitely kind of at a crossroads internally with where he is now kind of be coming at the end of his story. Right. And I think the big thing with this, as a reader, when you're first encountering this part of the plot, you get the impression that Kavoth, who's going by the name Coat, is someone of great importance, who's maintaining a low profile in a town that's in the middle of nowhere, but you're not sure why or what he's done that's causing him to kind of want to remain low. And you're also not sure if it's a self-inflicted hiding for, like, self-preservation. Like, he people could be after him. Or if, like, he's put himself there because he thinks he's too dangerous. Or if he's been exiled. So there's a lot of unanswered information about it. But we get the impression from Kavos' attitude up until this point. He seems very defeated, 
he's kind of like lost his will to live almost. Yeah, like he's, he's going through up. the motions, but not really. There's nothing that's new or exciting. He has no like magic or music in his life anymore, and it's very boring. Right. So um, later on in the day, there's actually a group of people that are traveling on the roads that end up staying here at the Waystone Inn. And you can see as soon as he's busy, like, serving them and talking and laughing and, like, singing, he comes back to life again. So you get this little glimpse of how he used to be. Yes, the spark of him is reawakened, and there's a liveliness to him. And in that moment, Boss sees that Kavod is only in this part of his life, he's only in his early 30s. And he is so, like, vivacious in this moment and full of life that he forgets that his teacher is so young, considering how worn down he's been acting as of late. Yep. The people who end up coming to the inn, there's a couple of really important things that I'd like to bring up. One is, uh, there's a tanner who comes to town, or a tinker. The tinkers seem to be these, like, very interesting characters in the series. They're kind of viewed as, like, a little bit mystical and on the edges of society. Yes, they're basically traveling salesmen that have everything in a giant pack, and they bring news of the road with them, and they're treated in a high regard. They tend to have, like, things that wouldn't be typically available. In regular shops. Yeah, they're almost like a traveling pawn shop. Like, the, the things that they have are very strange. It's not like, oh, I'm selling, like... Unique wares. Flour and, like, groceries or just, like, pots and pans. Like, they just have kind of whatever they've come across along the road. And it's very understood across everyone within this world that you always treat a tinker with respect and that you take their advice very seriously. Yeah, they're very worldly so, um, because they do travel so much, so they're definitely a character to be respected. But anyway, so there's all these kids that are with this group of travelers and the Tinker that are visiting the Waystone Inn, and these kids are singing a song that has to do with the Shandrian. Yep. So like I said earlier, a lot of songs or chants have secret information hidden in them, and this one talks about, it describes a couple of the Shandrian and their signs. So, in the opening one, they talk about Blue Fire, which was the one that was mentioned in the opening story. And then the second verse of the song, they talk about a man who has black eyes. So, we can assume that that's a description of one of the Shandrian. And then in the third one, third verse, there is the man without a face. So, these are a couple of descriptions we get of the Shandrian. As you go through the book, you'll pick up more and more to kind of build out these, like, descriptions of them and understand what they look like and what their abilities are and what their signs are. But blue fire tends to be, like, the most ubiquitous sign of the Chandrian. So, as the night progresses, we have this group that ends up renting rooms and stables at the Waystone Inn. And everyone is kind of just enjoying the wares of the inn. They're having dinner and everyone's yeah, it seems drinking. Yeah, really, it seems really cozy. I always think of the Lord of the Rings movie when they're at the Prancing Pony. And like yeah, everyone's like having a really good time. And it's like there's like a big fire and it's warm. And everyone's just like kind of dancing and carousing. It seems really fun. Very um, lively. Yeah, so that's kind of the impression I'm getting. And so amidst, amidst all this the like, good vibes and everything that's happening, one of the patrons actually approaches Kavoth and recognizes him and addresses him as Kavoth, in which he tells this man that he's mistaken, that this man's that he's actually named Coat, not Kavoth. 
But the guy, like, kind of presses it. He's like, oh, you know, I, I heard you sing once. That's how I recognized you. Yes, your you're Kavoth the Bloodless, the man pressed on. This guy then kind of keeps going on about details about a place in Imre where Kavoth apparently killed someone by a fountain. And there was a bunch of cobblestones that were all destroyed and shattered. Yeah, so I think this is probably hinting at, like, the culmination of the series, like, this, like, great big thing that Kvothe does in the end, which, I, I mean, I'm assuming he kills somebody very important, but uh, the fact that they can't fix it makes me think that there's, like, some crazy magic involved. Yeah, this is clearly, and, like, a huge, like, event. That yeah, and I think this is, like, why Kvothe is, I mean, he's famous for many things, but I think this is, like, the pinnacle of his actions. Right. And I think it's probably why he's now in hiding uh, or laying low with the Waystone Inn, but I'm not too sure. Yeah, so Kavoth, or Ko, as he's going by, then kind of plays dumb. He's like, you think I, I'm the Kavoth? So clearly his reputation is just preceding him to such a point where he has to literally pretend he isn't who he is. But he's also a very good actor. As we see, he is raised in a troop of actors, so, like, in this space where he's pretending to be someone who he's not and, like, faking it, he actually has really, really good acting skills, so he does a pretty good job, but just to, like, make sure that he sends it home, he kind of dips out of the room before too yeah. many people can start asking questions. He literally ends up limping and stumbling and takes a fall, and he goes on about how when he was younger, he took an arrow to the knee. <laughs> Quick nod to Skyrim fans out there. Yeah, he's like makes his like story up really quick. He's like, "Bossed, here's my backstory. Go, make sure everybody knows it." And so, he literally has bossed, um, basically roofie this guy, this drunk man's <laughs> drink to make him pass out for the night, and not inquire any more questions or raise any suspicions about Kavoth, which speaks a lot about the things he knows and what he's able to do. But also, like how. F- Far he's willing to go to make sure he's not recognized. Yeah, he's literally like, like All he's right. drugging someone he doesn't know and like making him kind of like go away for the night because he does not want to be found out. Right. But I think he kind of does a little bit. Yeah, I think at the same time, although he's in hiding, once we made a low profile, I think he kind of longs part of him for has the that vanity. Life. Yeah, he made himself so famous, and he now he just has to live in this backwater town. It's kind of sad. Right. And it kind of shows in a part where Bost asks Kavoth if he's okay because he took a stumble when he was like, making up that arrow to the knee story. And he literally tells the student, wow, you're as gullible as the rest of them. Yeah, so like I said, he's clearly a really good actor. You know, the, the rest of the night kind of goes by without incident. The people like just kind of quietly leave. There's no more questioning about who he is. So it's the next morning, and during the evening, nothing very exciting continued over at the Waystone Inn. The group of travelers that were staying kind of woke up and had breakfast at the inn and made their farewells as they continued to travel on the road. After uh, these travelers had left, Kavoth ends up heading over to the blacksmith, Caleb, and requests a rod of iron, in which Caleb kind of gives him a knowing look and laughs as Kavoth kind of looks down embarrassed because... Everyone in town has been visiting the blacksmith requesting these iron rods for self-defense since news of the Skrail has come out. And while he was there, uh, Kavoth also requests a leather apron and gloves. And he passes it off as saying like, oh yeah, I've got a bramble patch behind my inn that needs 
clearing away, so I think his plan is to kind of defend himself against the prickly bushes. But we very quickly find out that he wanted the rod of iron and the apron and the gloves to attack the Skrail in the next chapter, but he he kind of passed off the iron as being part of this like move of superstition in the town, and then also gathered the apron and gloves as and like just kind of passed it off as something else. But um, he's up to something for sure. Yes, and we'll find out next chapter. Chapter four, halfway to New Air. Noare? Noare, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's open to interpretation. I know. It's, uh, it was like Hermione when it finally came out. Everyone was like, that's how you say it? Yeah, Hermione. Hermione, like. <laughs> Hermione, that's what it is. That's what I always thought it was. Or uh, I remember reading a book in middle school, and I think the main character's name was Scipio, but I thought it was Sispio, and I was like, Way cooler. Way cooler in my brain. What happened? I know. There's so many books where you read certain names or titles for things and you kind of just change what it is to suit your preference. Mm -hmm. Because I I was calling, before I found out the proper uh, pronunciation, I was calling him Kavothe instead of Kavoth. I think I was too. But he, like, specifically says how it's pronounced in the book. Right. So, or, or, and you and I found this out because we read aloud to each other a lot. There are so many words in fantasy books that I'll just kind of, like, read on the page but not say aloud in my brain. And then when I go to read out loud to you, I have no clue. Yeah, like, say. phonetically, I'm like completely oh, different. Uh, I don't actually know how to say that one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Where we last left our heroes. Uh, no, noare? Noare. Well, I think we'll it's supposed noare. to be a pun on nowhere. I think so, too. But, anyway. So, we have Chronicler. He's basically been robbed. He's tired, exhausted, hungry, thirsty. He's limping from walking for days because his horse was taken. And he finds this fire roaring in the woods in the dead of night. And he approaches it. And immediately he, like, thinks it's great. He thinks he's found a house. But then he's like, oh, it's it's an abandoned house. And there's, like, a sketchy person in it. But he kind of, like, commits to it. And then... Uh, this is how he ends up finding Kavoth, who we find out eventually he's who he's been looking for all along. So it was kind of serendipitous that he happened to walk off the trail right into him. Oh yeah, it was serendipitous, but it couldn't have been at like a worse time. And Kavoth literally says this because he's basically using this fire and uh, remain of the scrail to attract the rest of them because he wants to kind he's of kill burning them all. a piece of the scrail in the fire, right? Yeah. Okay. That's and this gets explained a little bit later, but. Yeah, so he's the reason he got the rod iron and the apron and the gloves is to attract them all there and then just like obliterate the rest of them. Right. With and the iron. I'm assuming he's using the iron as a weapon, but um, yes. I'm not sure if there's any magic involved because we kind of miss out on the action later in the chapter, but I'm getting yeah. ahead of myself. So Kavoth is all decked out. He's got some leather, you know, gloves and apron and clothing on to protect himself because, as we know, the Skrill have these claws that'll just, like, shred you up. And <laughs> it's kind of hilarious because Kavoth's like, all right, like, you have, like, seconds before these, like, monsters are upon us. Like, put your game face on. And literally right as the action starts, Chronicler somehow... Takes a digger. Or he gets taken out immediately. Yeah, he, like, cracks his head and, like, passes out. <laughs> I know, and he wakes up fairly okay, I think. Yeah, no, there's... It, some of the Skrill cut him up while he was out cold, so when he comes to, he's bleeding, and he's kind of disoriented, obviously. But it was also... I think I think Patrick Rothfuss did this on purpose, to so we can't see 
how Kavoth defeats them. Because we don't understand how powerful he is yet. We don't understand what kind of abilities he has yet. And they insinuate that he's just using, like, a rod of iron to, like, beat them up. But I think there was definitely a lot more going on there. Oh, definitely. But, of course, like, we miss out on the information because Chronicler, who's acting as the narrator at this point, is passed out. Right, and Kavoth's still commanding that air of mystery. Yeah, we don't know who he is. Yeah, so... It's pretty funny. So Chronicler comes to, and Kavolt's already kind of vanquished all these monsters. They're kind of just burning in a giant uh, bonfire with the original one that kind of brought them, or attracted them to Kavolt. We kind of get a little bit more insight onto the folklore of this, where... Oh yeah, Chronicler makes fun of him. Yeah, because he's like, what are you doing? And he's burning the scrail. And he notices that there's different types of wood being used in the fire. And so he kind of quotes this uh, childhood nursery rhyme that talks of using ash, elm, and rowan wood to burn away evil. And so at this point, Kavol's like, alright, I've literally saved you. You stumbled upon this and you kind of were dead weight while I had to fight all these guys. The least you can do is kind of help me clean all this up and, you know, come back with me. And since Chronicler's still kind of concussed... He goes to help Kavot with the rest of the fire and the burning of these monsters and literally passes out again. Yeah, so he's not helpful at all. Literally the definition of useless. But in their conversation, Kavot does say you'd be surprised at the sorts of things hidden away in children's songs. And we've mentioned this a couple of times already, and this is going to be something we bring up countless times throughout this book, but that is where a lot of the information is hidden in this world. Yes, so, it's definitely a That was like the first theme. clue as a reader to like pay attention to those. Yes. And that pretty much wraps up chapter four. It's action-packed in a way that's not very descriptive, but things do happen pretty quickly. Chapter five, notes. This chapter is extraordinarily short. It is only three or four pages long. And it begins with... Kvoth coming back to Noare to the Waystone Inn with Chronicler's body, like, slung across his back, because Chronicler's yeah. still passed out. He's Ever a useful mean, Chronicler. <laughs> <laughs> he is, uh, well, you know, I think he's just one of those, like, really nerdy people. Oh, yeah, he's, like, totally just on the scribe. Like, <laughs> he does his best, but literally his strengths only include, like, academic like, Yeah, prowess. I don't think he's ever really had to fight anything, you know? No. So, it's a... It's a new world for him out here. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, so Kvothe is immediately greeted by Bost, who is so mad at him for just getting this, like, really useless note. Which basically just says, like, if you're reading this, I'm probably dead. Oh, yeah. He comes at him, like, scorned spouse mode, like, where have you been? Oh, yeah. He's so mad. To be fair, it is a cryptic note that he leaves. It says, it's... if you're reading this, I'm probably dead. Yeah, and like, that's and it. Kvothe's like, oh, you weren't supposed to find it until this morning, in which case, like, I would have already been home, so I could have gotten rid of the note. But, like, why wouldn't you just leave a better note? Yeah, that was definitely a jerk move. I know. I think they definitely have, like, a bantery relationship, but I think this is one of the times where Kvothe, like, didn't really think it through and kind of overlooked how much Boss actually cares for him. Oh, yes. And it shows here. Um, yeah, because they are, it's more than Master and Apprentice. They truly have, like, a very intense bond. Yeah. Um, so Bost is mad, obviously, and he also then, I mean, he's caught up in this emotion, but then catches himself and sees that, like, Kvothe is bloody and he's carrying someone who's passed out. So then he's like, where did you even go? Like, you couldn't have included me in, like, the fun yeah. and the action. 
And more importantly, it's like, I could have helped. He's like, yeah, I could have helped and you didn't trust me. So he's really hurt. Yeah, no, definitely not the best handled situation. No, and Kavol kind of tries to deflect by being like, you can still help here. Go get your medical kit and like help me with this guy. Yeah. And we do get this interesting piece where he does ask Boss to go get stuff to do stitches. And Boss is like, oh, I'm not touching your metal needles. I'll go get my bone ones. Once again, a little clue that Boss has got something going on. He's probably not human. Yeah, he definitely has a extreme dislike for anything metal or iron, which is interesting because normal people wouldn't think twice about that, and we'll kind of let that develop within the next few chapters. Yeah, as for now, we know anything that's averse to iron is a demon, but there's hints, obviously, that Boss is also not a fan of it. Yep, and while Boss is kind of taking care of Kavoth and tending to his wounds... He kind of tells Boss everything that went down while he was away, and he lets him know that he killed off five of the Skrill, which is very impressive, considering the fact that one took down... I mean, they down... sound terrifying, honestly. Yeah, one took down just a regular guy and a horse, no problem, so... Yeah. Definitely impressive that he single-handedly was able to, one, defeat five of these guys to keep well, himself alive. Well, also defend Chronicler, too, who's passed, once again, like I said, passed out, so... Yeah. So they go about kind of tidying up their wounds. Boss makes a hint about Kavoth being bloodless and all that. Yeah, um, just another um, homage of, of his reputation. Yeah, so we find out later that Kavoth has a nickname, Kavoth the Bloodless. We'll let that develop as it happens later, but Boss kind of poking fun at it. And then the chapter just ends. Boss sticks his head into Kavoth's room and has this odd little song or like it's almost like a lullaby because Kavot's in his room he's exhausted from this kind of encounter with the scrail and his wounds and he's just out cold in his room it almost reminds me of like a mom like checking in on her sleeping children like it's very yeah it's maternalistic like a, and like a very like tender moment and it, the the lullaby the, i guess for lack poem. of a better word yeah is, is about like watching mortal souls pass away so this is another huge clue that boss is maybe not human maybe not human but also just kind of the same foreboding of like the man waiting to die that was mentioned in the prologue chapter six the price of remembering opens up with chronicler finally waking up and heading down to the barroom of the inn and meeting kvoth immediately chronicler's like Oh, wow, it really is you, isn't it? And Kavoth tries to pass it off as, as like, not being recognized. Yeah, Kavoth's being very nonchalant, but Chronicler has known so much rumor and folklore about Kavoth that he just instantly knew. Yep, and then Kavoth tries to pass it off again and distract him, saying, like, how's the road to Tinue? And Chronicler's like, oh, that's not where I was going, and then realizes that he's asking about, like, the state of the world and, like, how are safe are the roads. Um, so he mentions getting robbed. He said it's like kind of, you know, it's okay, but it's not great out there. The world's slowly going to ruin with the war and these squirrel creatures kind of entering the human world. So things could be much better than they are. Yeah. So Chronicler has clearly been seeking Kavoth out and is glad to have found him. He's like, yo, I'm not here to cause you trouble. I'm not here because of the price on your head. Kavoth gets kind of irritated at this and is yeah. like, fine, who the heck are you? What yeah, are you like, doing here? And the guy says, you can call me Chronicler. 
And Kvos says, I didn't ask what I could call you, but, like, what's your actual name? And the guy introduces himself as Devin Lockies. Side note, there is a family that's very important in the world that is the Lockless family, but there are different iterations of their last names. So there's, like, Lockless, Lockliff. Lokies, Lackless. Lackless, yeah. So I'm not sure if he's related to that family or not, but it's awfully coincidental that his name is so similar. Yeah, like an outer descendant. So... Kvoth immediately recognizes his name. He's like, oh, you're not any chronicler. You're the chronicler. So this guy's very famous. Yeah, he's done a lot of uh, written histories of like a lot of famous people in this world. He's written a few books, one of which was, uh, they call it The Mating Habits of the Common Dracus. Which... Yeah, and Kvoth mentions reading that. And so the, the Dracus itself comes up much later in the story. Yep. And with this book, The Common Dracus, Chronicler's like, oh, yeah, you know, I, I went looking for a legend but found just an animal, this lizard. It wasn't anything fantastic. So Kavos kind of bitter. And he's like, oh, have you come to prove that I'm not a legend either? Chronicler kind of backtracks. And he's like, no, 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 I was looking for you. We heard a rumor that you might be here. Kavoth ends up figuring out that he was traveling with a man named Scarpy, who Kavoth knows. And he's like, oh... I'm not surprised that he would have been the first to find me. So he's admitting that he is Kvothe at this point and kind of conceding to the idea that Chronicler is here to get some kind of information about him. But Kvothe ends up just kind of playing the innkeeper and is like, can I get you something to eat, something to drink? Can I get you a room? And Chronicler kind of calls him out and is like, I thought you were Kvothe the Fearless. Why were you hiding behind this this disguise of being an innkeeper? Kavos kind of mad. He's like, you know, I've never been fearless. Only fools are fearless. And Chronicler's like, I didn't come here to make you scared. I came here because I was looking for information. Won't you can just even consider talking to me? And Kavos is immediately on the defense. He's like, that was a long time ago. I'm someone different now. I'm that not and... Kavos. I'm Coat. I tend to my inn. Yeah, because he's clearly, like, emotionally defeated, but I think a really large part of these books and what's fascinating is we get all these rumors and stories of legend that surround Kavoth and characters in this book and what actually happens and how it happens are two totally different things. So we hear about like Kavoth the Arcane, Kavoth the Bloodless, and you know, people assume that it's like these extraordinary feats and they end up becoming extraordinary and you know, powerful and amazing, but the way in which it happens isn't what you expect, which is really fascinating. Right. And so they're they're getting to the point where Chronicler's trying to get to the bottom of these stories. Yeah, he's kind of goading him. The man behind the myth. And yeah, he is goading him. So Kavoth kind of challenges him and is like, what could you offer me that's worth my remembering? Like, I don't want to go through the pain of remembering my whole story. Chronicler, instead of trying to answer that, just pushes him and is like, you know, everyone thinks you're dead. People say you're a myth. They say you never existed. And some news stories about you just kind of call you like a killer, like a coward. Kvothe takes this very hard. Yeah, he gets wicked angry. And the last thing that Chronicler says is some people say that you're the new, the newest addition to the Shandrian. And Kvothe is so upset about this. He ends up becoming extraordinarily angry Especially, once again, when Chronicler challenges him and says some people say there was a woman. At this point, Kvothe kind of, like, becomes so angry. The the room grows quiet, and he has this terrible look about him, and, like, a bottle shatters. A bottle of strawberry wine. 
and Chronicler becomes, like, terrified. He's like, you know, this is the first time I've stepped into a story versus just writing them down, and he's awed. Yeah, no, this part is awesome in the fullest definition of the word because he really pushes Kavoth too far, and literally there's an entire, like, energy shift in the room. Like, when you said, like, the bottle shatters, like, there's a whole... It's more than just, like, an emotional feeling. Like, there's literally an energy in the room emanating from Kavoth, and Chronicler even thinks to himself, he's like, how in the world could I have even thought this is just an ordinary innkeeper? Like, Yeah, it's crazy. And the fact that it is a bottle of strawberry wine, just take note of which characters later that's end associated up becoming with. associated with that. That's a clue. Yeah. But Chronicler's thinking about these like stories he knows about Kavoth and trying to reconcile them with this like terrifying person he's seen. He talks about how Kavoth went looking for his heart's desire, but had to trick a demon to get it, and then was forced to fight an angel to keep it. And for the first time, Chronicler's like, you know, I could believe that. This man is, like, powerful and terrifying and has such a command about him. I could actually believe that happening. And at the end, he kind of convinces Kvothe by basically saying that, like, people only know what they're told, and unless you tell your story, you're reputation is going to be this confusing one. It's going to be this one where people say that maybe you're the villain, that maybe you're the newest Chandrian. So he's kind of holding that against Kvothe, like He's, he's like, almost I'm... holding his story for ransom. Yeah, he literally says, you're holding my story hostage against me. Yeah. And Chronicler offers himself as the only way for the truth to come out and have a clear, full beginning-to-end story of, like, who Kavoth is, how he became this way, what he actually did, what's true, what's fake, what started as one thing and through rumor and gossip and, like, mythologizing became another thing about his life. And so this is his chance to set the record straight. Kavoth kind of calms back down and looks like the kind of meek innkeeper he is again, and Chronicler's very confused by this transition, but knows that the real Kavoth is still in there and is able to tell his story. I think a really cool uh, adjective that they do in this story, too, is that anytime Kavoth is either like happy or sad or upset or angry, there's this uh, change in his pupil color that goes from these bright blade green grass shades in his eye to almost a charcoal dark green force looking yeah, like upset. Yeah, like a steely green. Like he, you can kind of read him through his eyes, which is cool. So he... Eventually agrees and negotiates with Chronicler because Chronicler offers him one or two days and Kvothe demands he, I need three days to tell my story. Chronicler's kind of confused. He's like, three days is a lot. And Kvothe is kind of saying like, is it really, really that much? But um, the way the book is written is that book one is day one of Kvothe's story. Book two is day two of him telling a story and book three will be day three. And then the chapter ends with Chronicler finally calling him Kvothe by his name. He'd been calling him Kvothe up to that point. And Kavoth just straight up says, yes, I am. And this is the first time he's reconciling his old identity with his new identity. And that will be how he, you know, goes into the story. Right. So officially now, Kavoth's story is truly beginning. We've kind of gotten a nice background of this world and some of the characters that inhabit it. And maybe some more of like the fantastic elements that incorporate it. But now, like, officially, we are entering the story of Kavoth in his life. Yeah, the true beginning. So the book kind of starts at the end, obviously, because it's not the end of his life, but where he is now. And we're going to go back and start from the beginning. Chapter 7 of Beginnings and the Names of Things. 
And this is going to be the last chapter in our first episode because this is where Kvothe, he starts his story but doesn't fully start telling it until the next chapter. So this is a good introduction to where the story begins. Right. So in the chapter itself, Kvothe kind of asks Chronicler how people go about telling their stories and says... He says, I'll record things as I tell them, and then I'll edit it out and simplify and clarify. And Kvothe gets mad about... His methods, basically. The methods. He wants it to be his own words only. He doesn't want things getting cut out or edited. So Kvothe's like, well, how fast can you write? Can you write down everything I say? And Chronicler's like, yeah, I do. I have this method. It's basically like shorthand. Yeah. Um, Or what is it that secretaries used to use? Yeah, it's shorthand. Is that what it's called? Yeah, so it's like... Lines and dashes. Chronicler's really proud of this method that he's come up with, and this is kind of his key to success, I think. Yeah, he's developed it himself. It's his own. Yeah, so I think that's why he's been able to record so many famous people's stories and gather so much information and become, like, a really famous chronicler. And so in classic of both fashion, he kind of says, show me, has uh, Chronicler kind of put it to the test. And Kvothe... Literally just spews nonsense. He doesn't say, he says, like, a bunch of words. He even says made-up words and words in other languages and, like, a little silly, like, rhyme and makes Chronicler write it all down, like, word for word. Immediately figures out, like, oh, you know, the vertical lines are vowels, the horizontal lines are consonants, and uh, Chronicler's kind of, like, miffed that he figures even that out. And then... Basically, Kvothe messes around with it for, like, I think, what, half an hour or so, and immediately figures out the entire system, and Chronicler's not happy. Yeah, but it's, like... But also very impressed. It's amazing, because basically this shorthand language that Chronicler developed is all phonetic, so he doesn't have to worry about necessarily spelling things. It's just kind of, like, these dots, lines, dashes are simplified for the way people speak, and... When Kavod kind of cracks the code on this written language, Chronicler then says, is it true you really learned the Temic language in a day? And that's like another famous Kavod story. And it just kind of goes in. Kavod says, oh, you know, I learned it in a day and a half, actually. It wasn't a day. And I didn't learn all of it, just enough for what I needed. So this is where you're starting to see the breakdown between what Kavod actually did and what the world thinks he's done. And that will kind of be the continuation throughout the story as as he breaks down everything he did in his life. That and it's just another kind of feather in the cap to his greatness where he could totally just decipher this whole invented written system of chroniclers in like half an hour. And in a day and a half, he learned to speak a different language. Like this guy is brilliant. Yeah, he's absolutely genius. But once they figure that out, Quoth is pretty much ready to tell his story. Before he begins, says, like, you know, I've never told my life story before. It's very important that you get it all down. And you have to remember that I am of the Edimaru, these people who have been telling stories before there were books, before there was music, before time. We have been telling stories. Like, we are the original storytellers, so you have to respect how I tell my story. Yeah, there's a, there's a reverence and kind of sacredness in the act of him revealing his story. Yep, and he even says, like, if I'm wandering or straying or remember that stories don't always take a direct path, so just follow what I say word for word. So he begins his story. At first he's kind of all over the place. He's like, it begins when I heard her singing. And then he goes, no, it began at the university. And then he says, no, I guess it, true beginnings lies in what led me to the university. 
so it begins with the Chandrian, so he's he's not really sh- sure where to start. And he kind of shakes his head and, like, regrounds himself. Yeah, and so this part's actually kind of something that I love, was he then says, you know, it really kind of starts with me. That's where all the story starts, and so he then kind of goes into his names. And within the story and series, names are just so important. They hold a lot of power to who people are. I mean, even the book name is the name of the wind, so you know that, like, names and naming are very important and powerful. Uh, So the fact that he has collected so many is fascinating, and he goes through a bunch of them rapid fire. If you want to talk about those a little bit. Oh, yeah. No, this part's awesome. So he said, I've had many names, more names than anyone has a right to. The Adem had called him Madre, which, depending on how it's spoken, can mean the flame, the thunder, or the broken tree. He then talks about how the flame is kind of attributed to the fact that he has true red hair. I think he's deflecting at this point. He's like, oh, yeah, the flame, because my hair is red. But I think... No, it's much more, It's much more than that. He's just being kind of straightforward and a little tongue-in-cheek at this point. Yes, and, you know, with the flame, the thunder, uh, there's a lot of instances... Later, where uh, Kavos' reputation and stories about how he's called down fire and lightning like Tarbalin the Great, so that's kind of a interesting nod. The thunder could also attribute to his strong baritone and when he was singing and performing in his troupe at an early age. People in his life had different names for him as well. He also earned a lot of names such as um, Lightfinger, Six String, Kavoth the Bloodless, Kavoth the Arcane, Kavoth Kingkiller... He then kind of summarizes the fact that his parents named him Kavoth, and as a boy, he learned that it meant to know, which is a huge part of who he is, because he's just very intelligent and can never be satisfied. He always wants to learn something new and grow, develop, and push himself. And so with the end of this chapter, we get this really cool kind of sequence of historic like deeds and accomplishments of his life says he's stolen princesses back from sleeping barrel kings he burned down the town of trayvon he spent his night with florian and left with boats his sanity and his life he was expelled from the university at a younger age than most people are accepted in he tread paths by moonlight where others feared to speak during the day and he talked to gods loved women and written songs that made the minstrels weep and it's just an awesome way to just start the story. Yeah, and some of the things that he talks about are really straightforward. As and You and I have both read the book, so I'm trying not to give too much away, but some of the statements he made about things that he's done are very clear, and some of them have double meanings. Yeah. And I think that's really fascinating, and it's not knowing how the trilogy ends because the third book is out yet. A lot of people use this paragraph to kind of predict how all the pieces of the series will fall into place eventually and trying to figure out who the characters are that he's mentioning in here and the acts that he's doing and how they'll all piece together in the end. I think this is a hugely important clue to the story, especially because it is what is also written on the back of the book. So I think it's really fascinating that he started with like kind of his legends and then he's going to break it all down moving forward. But that's where we're going to end this episode The next set of chapters we're going to work on will be chapters 8 through 15. Until then, stay happy and healthy and happy listening. And if anyone has 
any comments or predictions that they want to get in touch with, you can feel free to reach out in the meantime through Facebook or our webpage. This podcast was recorded by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, edited by Anna Opishinsky, produced by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, with webpage and artwork designed by Anna Opishinsky. 